Hey, my name's Adam, and I am the West Shore Campus Pastor here at Coastline Church on beautiful Vancouver Island. Welcome to our podcast. All the content that you will find here is meant to point you to Jesus and encourage you in your journey wherever it is that you find yourself. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the message. Wow, I've never seen that video before. It's... (laughs) I hope I don't under-deliver based off the, in, the intensity that that thing needs. My word. Uh, good to have you with us today. You know, I just wanted to express a big thanks and give you a little heads up. Last Sunday was our biggest Sunday ever. Um, we had over 500 people here last Sunday, which is really wild for us. And so I wanted to thank you for coming back, those of you who came back. Um, also want to apologize for those who came at nine and realized they were now an hour early, hour early for church. And pre-apologize for those of you who are coming at 11 and uh, who, who are going to catch the end of the service. But uh, way, to, way to listen to instructions and come to the tent. You guys win, and uh, well done. That's really awesome. My, my name's Adam. I'm the West Shore Campus Pastor, and uh, we're always happy to have you here. If you're, if you're new, welcome. If, you, if this is your church home and you're a regular with us, welcome back. And uh, it, it's good to be here. We're starting a brand new series called Heroes. Over these next uh, six weeks, we're going to be highlighting different heroes of the faith um, throughout, throughout the scriptures. Um, one of the things that we've come to really stand by and believe, something we've noticed, right, is that, that the greatest heroes never aim to become one. It's not like you wake up in the morning and say, you know, I'm going to be a hero today. That, that's, that's my game plan, right? Maybe, maybe firefighters, they're the heroes. But, uh, or moms, hello. But, uh, but, but, but you don't typically wake up in the morning and say, you know what, today is the day for something heroic. Um, time and time again, what we, what we see when we, when we look at the scriptures is we see that heroes are often ordinary people who respond to both ordinary and out-of-the-ordinary situations with extraordinary faith. They're often regular people who, who tend to live in an irregular type of way. Heroes don't always wear capes. We know that. We learned that from the Incredibles. That's a, that's a slow one, but But these types of people, they live their lives in such a way that it impacts those around them. And and the Bible is full of these types of heroes. Um, If you brought your Bible today, I'm going to read from the book of James. And and, and James is a fascinating character. And he's the character we're going to talk about this week and next week. He gets a double double header. James is interesting because James is the half-brother of Jesus. In other words, just so so we're all on the same page, Jesus had a half-brother, which means Jesus was raised in a blended family. So if that's your story, don't beat yourself up. There's a little freebie for you. But interesting enough, so even though James grew up with Jesus in the house, James didn't grow up as a Christian. While Jesus was alive, James saw Jesus as his crazy, fanatic half-brother. He didn't believe that Jesus was God. And that's fascinating. But after Jesus died, after Easter, after his resurrection, 
Jesus revealed himself to James, and James inevitably converts to Christianity, as anybody would if all of a sudden you see Jesus face to face. And we, we, just, we see something just fascinating in this story. To, to be perfectly honest with you, um, in my opinion, I would say that James converting to Christianity provides some of the strongest evidence that Jesus is who he claims to be. Because if James can change his jaded, his skeptical opinion on Jesus, maybe, maybe we can too. What I've always appreciated about the book of James is, is James matured as a religious leader. We see his faith, we see his perspective, we see how he, how he lives out his life evolve over time. We see him mature. We see the outflow of his religious conversion take shape and unintentionally we see James mature into this type of hero of the church. We see him transition from a doubter of faith to a doer of faith. And because of that, I feel like there's so much we can learn today. I mean, let's be real. Nobody, nobody, nobody is going to know Jesus like James knows Jesus. These guys grew up together. These guys played together. Odds are pretty high. They shared the same room. I bet you you know your siblings pretty good. This is, this is James talking. This is the guy who's talking, who wrote these particular scriptures that we're going to talk about today. And James's perspective on faith is, it gives him this unique vantage point. And I love, you'll, you'll, you'll see it. If you've been a Christian for any deal of time and you've read this book, you'll, you'll know James is blunt. He speaks just truth. He speaks facts. He's practical. His bedside manner isn't so fancy. But... Uh, but he'll say it as it is. As we come out to Easter, and here we are, the week after, what I want us to do is I want us to explore the subject of spiritual maturity through James's perspective. Because as a pastor, I'm going to be honest with you, I love you as you are, and I hope you feel that, I hope you know that. I, you don't have to be somebody or act a certain way for you to come in these doors and me to love you. I'm with you. I'm on your side. I will walk with you. But am I actually loving you if I don't encourage you to grow in your faith? Am I actually loving my kids if they choose to eat their spaghetti with their hands forever without encouraging them to use a fork? Just speaking from experience, just say it. I'm like, come on, man, you're 15 years old. Use a fork. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. I'm like, come on, Shandy, you're a married woman. You should use a fork. And so, gotcha. I got ya. I gotcha. It's not Shandy. You can pick which one of my children it is. But what I want to do is I want to look at the writings of James together. Specifically, we're going to pick a, I'm going to call these hot takes. And we're going to take hot takes out of, the, out of the entire book of James. I'm going to give you something out of each chapter that I think we can learn from today. The first of which is found in James chapter 1, verse 27. And if you're taking notes today, this is what I want you to write at the top of your page here. Uh, a mature believer understands 
that religion is bigger than you. A mature believer understands that religion is bigger than you. This is what James says. James chapter 1, verse 27. He says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That's an interesting definition. In other words, what he's communicating to us is he's saying, listen, listen, Christians, religion is actually twofold. Pure and genuine religion is so much bigger than you are. Pure and genuine religion is about caring for others when they're in distress, number one. And on the other side, number two, it's about refusing to let your heart get corrupted. Refusing to revert back to who you were before, before you, Christ transformed your life. He's saying, pure and genuine religion is about both your relationship with people and your relationship with God. And that's why the picture of the Easter cross is such a powerful symbol of our religion. Because it has both a, a, a vertical beam and a horizontal beam. This vertical beam reminding us that it's important that we consider our vertical relationship with God. And this horizontal beam reminding us that it's important that we consider our horizontal relationship with others. It's both and. It's not just about you. It's not just about coming to church on Sunday. It's not just about reciting some prayers. It's deeper. It's broader. It's all inclusive. Number two. James, what he does in his book is he begins to, to highlight a, a, a very real theme. And it's very helpful for us, especially as we come out of Easter, kind of into normal everyday life. And number two, if you're writing something down today, I want you to write this. A, a mature believer understands that faith is processed internally and it's expressed externally. This is what James says in James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, verse 14, it says, What good is it? Dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but you do not show it with your actions, can that kind of faith save anybody? I love how he just jumps right into the facts. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food and no clothing, and you say, hey, goodbye, and have a good day, stay warm, and eat well. <laughs> but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What does that do? You see, so you see, faith by itself isn't, isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Faith by itself isn't enough. That's interesting. Because we, as the church, we are people of faith. We're people of faith. And faith is actually, it's, it's processed internally. 
Like, like, like we learn the scriptures and we hear about God and we, we come to a church service like this and there's something that's going, the wheels start spinning inside our minds, inside of our heads. We're like, okay, okay, this is what Christianity is supposed to look like. Okay, I think I get it. And, and, it's, and it's an inside kind of thing. But it's not meant to stay there. You see, faith needs to be expressed externally too in order for it to actually work. In fact, this may actually be where some of us are stuck, if I'm going to be super honest. You're here. Well done. You call yourself a Christian. Great. You believe that Jesus is real. But somewhere, there's a disconnect between your head and your heart. Somewhere along the line, there's this disconnect between who you say God is in your mind and, and how you actually live out that faith on, on, on a day-to-day. And this is where James's words are so helpful, albeit blunt, but, but extraordinarily helpful. What he says to us is he says, listen, yo, maybe not yo, but yo. He says, unless your faith actually leads to action, it's not helping anybody. It's not even helping you. In fact, it's dead and useless. In other words, it is actually maybe even better for you to not even have a faith at all. Because you're going to be stuck there thinking that you got something that you don't. I can explain this maybe with an analogy that might be helpful. I brought an umbrella to church today. Vanna White, could you bring me my umbrella? Thank you very much. Her name's actually Shandy. That was a not funny joke that I made. Three people laughed though, so it's deceptive. In its simplest form, faith is the security that I have, knowing that I don't need to worry about my clothes getting wet because I have an umbrella. Oh, that would have been so cool, but it wasn't. Faith is the security that I have in knowing that I don't need to worry about my clothes getting wet because I have an umbrella. That, that is basically how this works. Unfortunately, though, Knowing that I have an umbrella and knowing how it works might make me feel safe inside. But knowledge alone won't actually keep me dry in the rain. The same thing kind of applies with Christianity. You see, we've got people leaving the church disillusioned, leaving the church jaded, because they don't know how to apply their faith in the right place. You come to a church service. I don't know if it's going to feedback. We'll, we'll see what happens. We had a fire alarm on the nine last week, so it can't get any worse than that. So you got people coming to church. We got our umbrellas out, and we're listening to the sermon. And we're, we're pretty excited because our umbrellas are keeping us dry. Our umbrellas are doing what they're supposed to do, and our faith, in, in a sense, it totally works. The problem is, it's really easy to be a Christian in here. 
It's really easy to have faith that, that you'll stay dry when it rains when there actually is no rain. It's easy to have faith in an umbrella when, when you're sitting in a room full of people with umbrellas. It doesn't work like that, though. You see, an umbrella doesn't work if you don't have it with you when you need it. See, I could have my umbrella in here, oh, fine, and this is great, but if I leave my umbrella here and I go back outside and I stand in the rain, I'm going to get wet. The fact that I own this umbrella all of a sudden means nothing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't actually help me. It's there. I own it. I can know it can keep me dry, but unless I actually bring it with me into the rain, unless I apply it, unless I use it, unless I put it over my head, it doesn't actually work. Umbrellas don't work if you don't open them. So if you don't use them properly and you walk outside like this, it doesn't work. You got everybody looking at you like, that guy does not know how to use an umbrella. That guy is an idiot. Look how wet he is. What a moron. I'm not going to buy that umbrella. <laughs> that umbrella doesn't work. But then we do the same thing with Christianity, though. And we got people out there, forgive me for being crass, who are looking at us thinking, those guys are idiots. They don't even know how to apply their faith. They're mean. They're angry. They're worried all the time. They're freaking out. They're soaking wet. And they're holding this umbrella over the head like it's some kind of champion. <laughs> but it's not actually working. And so we're, we're actually communicating the opposite thing. Our faith isn't helping me. It's not helping others. Because I'm not using it properly. And what happens sometimes is we tell ourselves that we're, we're, we're good because we got an umbrella, we take it everywhere we go, we got it in the car, we're ready, you're ready, you're ready. We're kind of embarrassed to bust it out. We're nervous to, to open it up when we're, when we're actually outside because we don't want to be that guy who's like overprepared. We don't want to be too preachy. The reality is unless we actually use the umbrella when it's supposed to be used, the umbrella's not actually all that helpful. And some of you, you have a faith and it's a little disillusioning because it hasn't been all that helpful for you. Maybe, just maybe, you're learning that the umbrellas aren't for insight. Faith needs to be used. It's not just enough to have it in here. I've got to actually open it, use it, and, and, and apply it in the right setting. Number three. A mature believer understands that wisdom has less to do with what you know and more to do with how you live. In James chapter 3, verse 13, he says it this way. He says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. You see, what James is getting at is a, a, a very important truth. Spiritual maturity is not measured in length. Spiritual maturity is measured in depth. I guess technically depth is a length, but you know what I'm saying. It's not about how long you have been a Christian. 
It's about how deep is your relationship with Jesus. Because if it's just measured in how much time you spend with Jesus, like you got to remember James's story. James grew up with Jesus and spent years by his side, and nothing changed. But it wasn't until he had a personal encounter with the risen Savior that everything changed inside of his heart, inside of his life. Listen, some of you, you've been coming to church for years, but what you actually need today is an encounter with Jesus. You've been calling yourself spiritually mature because you've been here longer than I have and you can quote more scripture than me. But it's, what matters is actually that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. That the depth is there. That's what really actually matters. Number four. A mature believer understands that Jesus died for our sins, but it's actually our responsibility to deal with them. Let me unpack that with James's words in chapter 4, verse 7 to 10. He says, so humble yourselves before God. Really great advice. So when we come on a Sunday morning and we lift our hands and we're praising God, and we're singing songs, we're not doing karaoke. Shandy, thank you for saying what you said. But what we're doing is we're humbling ourselves before God. <laughs> we're lifting our hands up. I picture my little kid, when they were really small, they would lift their hands like, Daddy, up, Daddy, pick me up, Daddy, pick me up. It's the same principle with worship. We're coming here before God, and essentially we're saying, Daddy, pick me up. <laughs> I, I can't do this in my own strength. Life is hard. There's people I want to punch right in the face. <laughs> and I can't do that, Lord. So I'm raising my hands in full surrender before you, because I am guilty as charged. Right? And there's this element of just saying, okay, God, I'm going to humble myself before you. And so when you come to church weekly, and that's why I'm always an advocate for regular church attendance. Not for me, but for you. Well, my own personal attendance, that matters. But you hear what I'm saying? Like, like I care that you come for you, that you come. So that you can weekly be able to come to this place where at least weekly we're humbling ourselves before God. He says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Like super practical. It's like, you wanna know how to do this whole Christian thing? Just stop doing the dumb stuff the devil tells you to do. <laughs> like intuitively, you know what you should and shouldn't do. When you feel like you shouldn't do that thing, don't do that thing. That's what he's saying. Just, just resist it and then, then the devil will flee from you. Resist that moment and then, then just move on. Verse eight. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. One of the most powerful sentences in the whole Bible. We overcomplicate it because when we mess up, what we want to do is we want to run away from God. But he's saying, come close to God. You want to find him? That's how you find him. And he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. You're just kind of calling us out. It's like, hey, you can't be a Christian in here and not a Christian out there. That's a big problem. What are you doing? So he's saying, so you wash your hands. You get that off you. Stop it. Start again. Let there be, let there be tears for what you've done. And he makes this huge point. He says, let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. Let there, he says, gloom instead of joy. 
And he's not saying that because he wants all Christians to be downers. But he's trying to make a point. We come to church all the time because we know God is a God of love. We know that. I just told you. You can come in here and I'll love you exactly how you are. And I'll love you. And we can come in here and be like, hey, this is great. Everything is awesome. And never actually deal with our stuff. And live kind of like two-faced. We live with one foot in the world, one foot out of the world. And, and, and we call this fervent Christian living. And inside, we know that it's not. But in here, we can fake each other out. And James is saying, don't do that. He's saying, humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up in honor. Jesus died to take the punishment for humanity's sins. We, we, we talked about this at Easter. And this applies, Jesus' death on the cross, it applies to everybody. It applies to you. But only if you apply it. Imagine, imagine I wrote you a $10 million check. Because that's what we get paid. So I write, I write you a $10 million check. Would that change your life? So I write you a $10 million check, Eric. I said, thank you for doing sound today. Here's 10 million, bro. You got this, right? That'd be a pretty awesome Sunday. Let's all, let's all agree on that. I think that would be pretty, pretty darn amazing. But if I wrote you a $10 million check, it wouldn't actually change your life. It only changes your life once you cash it. So I write you a $10 million check and I give it to you. But if you don't take that check and actually put it in the bank, that piece of paper will not change your life, I promise you. If you don't cash the check, if you don't put it into your bank account, the $10 million doesn't actually benefit Eric. It's still mine. We need to apply it. So Jesus, he, he dies for our sins. It's like way more than a $10 million check. But this only benefits you if you take responsibility for your actions and you apply it to your life. Make sense? I'll close with this. A mature believer understands that heroism is more about rescuing the wanderer than performing a sign and wonder. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says these words. And this is his finale, the crescendo of his book. And it says, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and that person is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back from the wandering will save that person from death and bring about forgiveness of many sins. I'm as guilty as the next person. We love the testimonies that include signs and wonders. Who doesn't love a good God miracle? 
They're awesome. But let me share some truth, though. You want to be a hero? Care for the wanderer. Let's be real. Raise your hand if you know somebody who has wandered away from the church since COVID. Raise your hand. A lot of hands in this room. Friends, I'm going to tell you something you need to hear. Caring for the wanderer is everyone's responsibility. This burden is on all of us. In fact, I will be so bold to say that as a church here in the West Shore, this is a high priority mission for us. We care for the wanderers and we chase after them. My dear brothers and sisters, James says, he's saying, this means everybody. If someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever, not just the pastor, but whoever, brings that sinner back from wandering, will save that person from death and bring about forgiveness of many sins. It's all of our responsibility. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to close in prayer. And this morning I want to close with two, two prayers. The first prayer I want to do is I want to pray for the wanderers in the room. And maybe you found yourself wandering. You find yourself wandering back. But if you find yourself here this morning and God is, you, it's almost as though you feel him calling you back. I want you to know that you're in the right place. That Jesus hasn't forgotten about you. Maybe you didn't go to church before, but you find yourself here today and you're thinking to yourself, whoa, is this real? Friend, I can assure you that it is. I didn't grow up going to church. And, and when I learned that Jesus was who he said he was, everything changed my life. And if you feel like God is calling you back, calling you to him, can I invite you to slip up your hand for a second? I'd love to pray for you. you raise your hand, I invite you to pray with me. This may be your first prayer you've ever prayed. So you can actually think these words or just agree with me as I pray them. It sounds like this. Lord, sorry. Sorry for the things that I've done that I've maybe I've hurt others. The things that I've done that have hurt you. Sorry for making life all about me and getting distracted what really matters. Thank you that you're real. Thank you that you have a plan for my life. Thank you that, as Easter tells us, you, you, you died so that I could have life. You died in exchange for me. Would you please come into my heart? Come into my heart again. 
Show me what it means to be a Christian. Because, Lord, I need you. In your name I pray. Amen. The second prayer I want to pray with you guys as we close is if you've raised your hand that you know somebody who has wandered, let's pray for that person. Okay? So all across this room, I invite you just to think of that name. Somebody that you know who's wandered away from the faith. And let's begin to pray for them. Father, we lift up each and every name that is represented in this room this morning. And God, we pray that, Father, you would be with that person right now. Lord, that your spirit would be there right with them. That you would bring encouragement that you'd speak right to the depths of their heart, that you'd help them to see who you are, that you would remind them that you have a calling and a plan and a purpose for their life, that you would remind them that your plans for them is good, that you are a good God who loves them and wants to walk with them and has a plan for them. So Jesus, we lift up the wanderer today. And Father, we pray, God, that you would impact them, speak to them, challenge them, draw them back, bring them peace. In your name we pray, amen.